I know you've seen it on the highways, someplace maybe where there's been a, a rather serious traffic accident, and they make paint marks on the on the roadway where where the car went, the angle that it traveled, uh, maybe where the collision itself actually occurred. In fact, you may not even have known that there was a a wreck there at the time, but sometime later you drove by there and you saw those paint marks on the road and you know there's been some kind of a serious accident here. And what they have done is they've actually reconstructed the accident scene. Why would they do that? Why are they reconstructing the accident? I'm sure there's lots of reasons. Some of it probably has to do with filing insurance claims and that sort of thing. But also they they use that to see how the accident occurred. Maybe they need to change something. Maybe the road surface here is particularly slippery when it's wet and they need to resurface the highway. Maybe they need to change the traffic flow pattern. Maybe they need to put up a a new guardrail or something. But the idea of it is that they study how the accident occurred so that maybe they can prevent an accident like that from happening in the future. That makes sense, I guess, right? should make sense. Well, I want to suggest to you that we have sort of that approach in the letter that Paul wrote to 1 Timothy. He talks about some people who had experienced serious spiritual calamities, real accidents, fatal spiritual accidents, and he talks about them several times in the book of 1 Timothy. For instance, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 19, some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regards to their faith. Shipwreck. Their, their faith is shipwrecked. In chapter 4, verse 1, some shall depart from the faith. Chapter 5, verse 8, someone has denied the faith, is worse than an infidel. In chapter 5, verse 12, they have cast off their first faith. In chapter 6, verse 21, they have erred concerning the faith. Well, from all of that, we get the idea uh, that there's some real dangers to us spiritually, some horrible spiritual calamities that can happen. And we need to learn how those kind of things could happen so that we can take steps to avoid them. Do we need to erect a spiritual guardrail? Do we spiritually need to change the way our traffic flow is and so forth? What, what can we do to avoid these horrible disasters of faith that are described in these several verses that we just looked at. And of course, we could go other places and show the same thing. What can we do to avoid losing our faith? How is it that some folks lose faith? That's what we want to talk about in our lesson this morning. Again, with the idea being, if we know what could happen and how it could happen, we can take steps to avoid it in our lives. We stop here for just a minute to thank everybody for being here. We're very grateful that you've come out on this cold winter morning in Middle Tennessee. Uh, you've braved the elements and you've made it out. The sun is shining, so things are looking better. Uh, we're especially grateful that we have this chance to come together and worship God. We especially appreciate those who are visiting with us today. We hope you'll come back every time you have a chance. As always, we invite your questions and comments. If you'd like to talk more about the things that we're doing here, why we're doing it this way. If you have Bible questions that we can help to answer, by all means, ask those questions. We'd be glad to engage you in a discussion of those sorts of things. Thanks to everybody for being here this morning. So how could someone lose his faith? Now, the reason we're asking that question is obviously, I don't want to lose my faith. Maintaining my faith to God is essential 
in order to have heaven eternally, right? Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. I've got to maintain my faith. So I want to know how, it, how I might lose it so I can avoid losing it, right? First of all, let me suggest to you that someone could certainly lose their faith by listening to the wrong people. There are a lot of people out there who are trying to influence us. Some of them are doing it rather overtly. I think a lot of people who are in the media and entertainment business, they're, they're, they're consciously trying to change us, to, to affect us, to influence us in bad ways. Uh, they, 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 in fact, almost seem like they are constantly inventing new ways to distract us spiritually. But there are other people out there who may not have a direct agenda, but their, their influence over us is bad, and we can simply be influenced negatively by the wrong sort of people. We've got to be really careful. Would you agree with me that the vast majority of people in the world are the wrong people for us to be listening to? That actually the ones we ought to be listening to and the things we ought to be doing are only being represented by a distinct tiny minority. The vast majority of people in this world would lead us in the wrong direction. Remember the story back in 1 Kings? King Solomon had died, and his son Rehoboam was to follow him on the throne. Uh, the people had some complaints. They had Actually, they had some complaints about the reign of Solomon. Solomon had taxed them pretty heavily, and they were, they were feeling the pressure of some of his rule. And so they came to his son and, and asked him to lighten their load, make it easier for us, they asked. And so Solomon decided, or excuse me, Rehoboam, Solomon had died, Rehoboam, his son, decides to ask for advice. And, and he, so he asked for the advice of some of the old men who'd been counselors of his father. But then he also asked for the advice of some of the young men that he had grown up with. So he's asking for advice. What does he ultimately do? First Kings chapter 12, verse 8, he forsook the counsel of the old men which, had, which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. He took the wrong advice. He listened to the wrong people. And we know the result of that was that the kingdom was split. And he was just kept, he just was able to keep a, a fraction of the kingdom under his reign. And of course, generation after generation thereafter suffered that division. And there was a lot of fighting and controversy because he listened to the wrong people. Listening to the wrong people, the story of Rehoboam tells us listening to the wrong people can have very serious consequences. And that's certainly true for us as well. Being influenced by people in ways that hurt us spiritually is a tremendous danger. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. This, this has to do a lot with our peers, the people that we're around. Uh, if we associate with the wrong kind of people, they will lead us in the wrong way. But it doesn't have to just be our immediate peers. It can be the, the, the people in society, the influences of our wicked society. It's, it's no revelation to you, no shock to hear me say that we live in a very wicked, evil time. And if we allow ourselves to be influenced by those kind of things, it can really corrupt us spiritually. So we could lose our faith. Be aware, you could lose your faith if you listen to the wrong people. They could affect you spiritually and eternally. I think certainly we could lose our faith by loving this present world. 
In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus here was describing the problem of trying to do two things at the same time, trying to serve the Lord, but still trying to keep our hand in the world, trying to straddle the fence. I think that's the expression that we would probably use, trying to do both things at once. Jesus said, invariably, what happens is you're going you're to migrate to one, you're going to forsake the other. You can't serve both. It's not going to work. It's not a workable situation. You're going to uh, love one, and despise the other, you're going to hold the one, and so forth. Let me ask you a question. Because we all have some experience with people, uh, even in the Lord's church. Of the people you've known in the Lord's church who were trying to do the very thing that Jesus was describing there, trying to sort of straddle the fence, be a Christian, but also be of this world, who loses out in that, typically? Who loses out? Well, wouldn't you agree with me that in the overwhelming majority of cases, and maybe almost exclusively, the one that loses out is God. You can't serve God and mammon. And the one who loses, if you try, is God. God's going to be weeded out. God's going to be pushed out of the picture. You're going to become more and more devoted to the world. If you love the world, if you try to be hold hands with the world, that's going to destroy your faith. In Second Timothy 4, verse 10, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. I've always thought that was one of the saddest expressions in all of the things that Paul wrote. We know that this was near the end of the last letter that he wrote, or at least the last one that we have record of. Paul was back in prison in Rome, was anticipating probably that he would be soon executed. And he mentions Demas. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. What a sad thing to say. But what, is there a possibility it might be said of us that we forsook the Lord because we loved this present world? It could happen if we love the world. In the reading that Yancey did for us earlier from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, beginning, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know, we are absolutely commanded to not love this world, but the reason is explained. The world passes away. The world is passing away. All of this is temporary. Any, anything that we might associate with the world and the pleasure that it might afford to us is a temporary thing. The world passes away. Don't love it. Love the Father and said, be wise. Be wise enough to realize that these things are just temporary. This is not going to last. We ought to be able to see that. We ought to be able to discipline ourselves accordingly. Love not the world. But if you love this world, it could certainly affect you in the sense of losing your faith. I think another way that we might lose faith is by allowing ourselves to be too busy how often do we use that expression and how often do you hear that expression used? Well, I'm just so busy. Maybe you know of a Christian who's neglecting spiritual duties and you try to reach out to them. Well, yeah, well, it's just been a really... I'm just busy. It's just such a busy time, they might say. Well, we talk about being busy, uh, but the fact of the matter is we have 
a lot more discretionary time than any generation that ever lived before us. I did a little reading about this. Do you know that the average American man works 11.6 hours per less, 11.6 hours less per week than just back in 1965. So what's that, 40, uh, 50 years ago, a little over? 50 years ago, the average American man worked 11.6 hours more per week than the average American man does today. It's calculated that Americans on average have seven hours more to devote to leisure time activities than just 50 years ago. That's just 50 years ago. Go back another 50 years from that. Go back 100 years ago. How hard do you think people were working? I'm telling you, people were working really hard. We say we're busy, we're working less, and we got more leisure time than ever has been known before. You say you're busy? Well, the, the problem is we allow ourselves to get so involved in those leisure time activities, we, we're busy, but the problem is we allow that to crowd God out of our lives. You know, there's a danger that this busyness, even if the activities we're doing are not in and of themselves bad, I'm, uh, and I'm, I'm trusting that's the case with us as Christians, we're not out here doing wicked, immoral things that are occupying all of our extra time. But even if the things that we're doing are good in and of themselves, if we allow that busyness, in our leisure activities, or even in our work activities. If we allow that busyness to keep us so preoccupied that we don't have time for God, that's, that has the potential to be extremely devastating to our faith. In Luke chapter 10, we read the familiar incident with Mary and Martha. Remember this? In Luke 10, beginning verse 38, he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou, hast, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part. So here's Martha, very busy. In fact, so busy, she's complaining. Can't you get my sister to help me with all this work? But Jesus didn't commend her for that business. He said, actually, Mary had chosen the good part to devote herself to spiritual things, to hear Jesus and to learn from him. Busy. I suppose we are busy. But a lot of that business involves discretionary time on our part. We've got to be careful not to make choices that cause us to be so busy that we crowd God out of our lives, devastating to our faith. Another way one could lose his faith is through too much worry and anxiety. Uh, this probably goes pretty well with the previous point, uh, but here we want to talk about the problem of wor worry. Uh, and, and we're not talking about taking care to provide for necessary things you know we have to we have to be concerned about health and and so forth there they are there are legitimate concerns but here we're talking about just worry and anxiety in general um, 
again, doing a little research on this, and I found that anxiety dis disorders are considered to be the most common mental illness in America today. Forty million Americans deal with anxiety disorder every year. Uh, the average American, I thought this was interesting, the average American spends two hours per day worrying. Is that amazing? Two hours per day, where that's where some of that extra time we have goes. We spend it worrying. But, and you've heard this statistic before, I know. They say that 85% of the things that people worry about never even come to pass. We're worrying about things that don't even ever happen. Uh, Jesus talked about that, actually. Jesus talked about worrying about things that we can't change anyway. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, beginning verse 31? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Notice that take no thought is contrasted with seeking first the kingdom of God. And, and so even in these words of Jesus, the implication is there that if you get so consumed worrying about these things, it will keep you from serving God and putting Him first like He ought to. And so for us, we need to learn the lesson. We need to be careful about letting worry and anxiety, again, crowd faith out and cause us to ultimately lose our faith and be lost eternally. I know you would not disagree with me if we said that you could lose your faith if you fail to study and grow. That's almost too obvious, isn't it? We know Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. We apply that to our initial faith, right? How, if you've got an unbeliever in the world, how are they going to come to faith? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We understand but, but there's an ongoing concept to that too. How, so if I'm going to maintain my faith, and if my faith is going to grow, how am I going to get it? How am I going to get faith, stronger faith, enduring faith? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. First Peter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. We should be like babies wanting to be fed. Uh, when, a, when a newborn baby wants to be fed, there is absolutely nothing else that's going to suffice. Nothing's going to, nothing's going to appease them or satisfy them until they are fed. And spiritually, that's the way we ought to be, desiring the sincere milk of the Word as a newborn babe. And we are actually even commanded in this regard. Second Peter 3, verse 18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We're commanded to grow. But if we're not growing, if we're not studying, if we're not growing, then what happens? We don't, you, you, you don't just stay at the same level spiritually. You stop studying, you stop growing, you stop striving spiritually. What happens is there's, a, there's an automatic downturn spiritually. You don't stay at the same level. If you're not constantly studying and growing as a Christian, then you are declining. There is no holding your, your status quo. We need to understand that. So, are you worried about, are you worried about the potential you could lose your faith? You better be. It's a potential. It could happen. Well, what are you going to do about it? Well, one of the things you've got to do is continue to devote yourself to study and growing spiritually. Uh, that is absolutely necessary. Finally, 
let me suggest to you that one could lose his faith by growing weary. You ever had a, a really tough physical job to do? I know all of us have in one way or another in different times and places. But imagine some really tough physical job. I mean, it is hard, hard physical work. You get tired when you work hard physically. And it seems like it's even worse uh, if the job is very hard and you have nobody to help you do the work, right? If there's somebody else, they're sharing the load with you. That helps a lot. The work's still hard. But if there's somebody else there helping you to do this tough physical job, that, that helps a lot. Well, I want to suggest to you that the same things are true spiritually. Serving the Lord spiritually is hard work. And it's very easy for us to get tired. And, and especially get tired if we feel like we're in this all alone and there's not much help. We can get weary. We can grow weary spiritually. But we can't allow that to happen. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. Notice, if we faint not. We shall reap if we faint not. The only way we're going to get that eternal reward is if we don't allow this weariness to wear us down. It's interesting, and I didn't put this on the chart, but it's interesting that in that same context, back up at the start of chapter 6, we're encouraged to bear one another's burdens, help each other. You know, if, if I have a sense that you're helping me, if you have a sense I'm helping you, that helps overcome that spiritual weariness that might wear us down. And the reason why this is so absolutely critically important is we can't think, we can't give up, we can't get so tired that we quit because if we lose our faith in that fashion, we'll be lost eternally. So think about this. How could one lose his faith? first point that we've got to stress again is it's a potential. It's clearly a potential. I take you all the way back to those several statements we read initially from the epistle of 1 Timothy. There were people who had made shipwreck of their faith, who had lost their faith, had become worse than infidels. It can happen. It happened back then. It certainly can happen to us today. Knowing that it can happen, then we need to, we need to see what some of the potential dangers are. I'm not suggesting that we've listed them all here. But clearly, I think we've pointed out some of the things that stand as real dangers to us and how we might lose our faith. What do you do then? When you know that the danger exists, what do you do? You build a, you build a guardrail. You, 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 you prepare your defenses. You change the way you're going, the traffic flow, spiritual traffic flow, if you will. You, you make changes to avoid the dangers. That's what you do. And that's what we need to be doing because we certainly cannot eternally afford to lose our faith. What's your situation this morning? We've been really speaking to those of us who are Christians in our lesson, so let me ask those of you who are Christians, is your faith strong? Are you enduring? Or do you recognize that maybe your faith has been wavering and you've been sort of backing off spiritually from where you need to be? If that's the case, you need to rededicate yourself to serving God. You need to repent and confess any faults that have existed in your life. You need to get back on the right footing with God. If we can help you uh, with prayers this morning, let us know. If you're not yet a Christian, you, you certainly need to get started on that journey, serving God, doing His will in your life. It's the only thing that ultimately matters. Hearing the truth, will you believe it? 
repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.